You're listening to Echo Zoe Radio, episode 38 for June 2011 with Brett Kunkel on the subject of Mormonism. Welcome to Echo Zoe Radio. I'm your host, Andy Olson, proprietor of EchoZoe.com. Thanks for joining me again this month. This is episode 38 for June 2011. My guest for this episode is Brett Kunkel of Stand to Reason. Brett is the student impact director of STR. We'll talk about Mormonism today, focusing on the key differences between Mormonism and Orthodox Christianity, as well as how to effectively witness to Mormons. So welcome, Brett. Thanks so much for coming on the show and doing an episode with me. Absolutely. Uh, before we start, we're going to talk about Mormonism today. Uh, before we get started, I wanted to point out that two years ago, Greg Kokel was on the show. We talked about his book, Tactics. Uh, but for those who don't know, don't hear that show or know what Standard Reason is, could you pl- explain a little bit what Standard Reason is all about? Yeah, well, we are an organization that is dedicated to helping Christians think clearly about what they believe, why they believe it, and then to be able to articulate that uh, graciously and intelligently to the uh, the culture around them. And so our goal is to equip, we're an equipping organization, equip Christians to uh, to be able to defend their, their faith and values to their neighbors, friends, in the public square. Okay. And so we're, we're talking about Mormonism today. Before we jump into Mormonism, could you talk a little bit about your experience with Mormons? Yeah, I actually went on a mission trip to Utah when I was an undergrad at uh, Biola University. And that was really some of my first main experience with Mormons. We did some training beforehand, and then we went up for a week during uh, our spring break and just did ministry with Mormons and uh, evangelism. And so that really kind of launched launched me into ministry with Mormons, and I've been up to Utah since then a number of times. Uh, as a youth pastor, I would actually uh, take my, my uh, high school and college students on mission trips to Utah. And then as I joined Stand to Reason, uh, we started developing the same kind of mission trip approach with uh, with different groups, and so I've taken up a number of groups um, in my work with Standard Reason as well. Okay, so if you're out evangelizing Mormons, you you must not believe that they're saved. <laughs> yeah, that's, that is correct. That is correct. So I like to sum up uh, like the essentials that that affect salvation, the essential views that we have to hold for a proper view is. As, as a proper view of the person and works of Jesus Christ. And I think you describe it more as the nature of God versus self, the nature of salvation. Kind of similar, or almost the same. Uh, how do Christians and Mormons differ on these two essentials? Yeah, well, that 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 is, a, uh, I think, an involved question, because you're going to get Mormons who will say that they're Christians. And mm-hmm. even when you start to, you know, you start to say, well, um, we believe in a different Jesus, they're going to, they're going to get, you're going to get pushback. They're going to say, no, we, we believe in Jesus as well. They'll, they'll say, look, the name of Jesus is on the, 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 uh, it's on the building. It's inscribed on the building of every one of our, you know, our churches. And, uh, I think 
part you know part of this first initial discussion is just kind of clarifying what do we mean by Christian? What is the Mormon's view of Christian? And uh, and kind of cashing that out a little bit. And I think what you find is Mormon's first response is to claim that they are Christians. And and even when Christians start kind of, you know, talking about Jesus or salvation, the Mormons will at first affirm kind of all the kind of standard things that you might hear Christians say. So I even things like Jesus is God, you'll have some Mormons who will affirm that because they'll they'll take that to mean something different than Orthodox Christianity. Even when we say that uh, salvation is by grace through faith, a Mormon will affirm that because they'll interpret it, you know, again, differently than Orthodox Christianity. It's a lot of reinterpretation of, of the terminology. Then. Yeah, exactly. So even maybe at the outset of a conversation with a Mormon, especially Mormons who are wanting to affirm their Christian credentials, uh, you might want to explore just that whole that whole area and ask them what they mean. You know, ask a Mormon what they mean by, uh, you know, Christian. What, what's it? You know, when the when you claim that you are a Christian, well, what do you mean? Because that could be taken in, in you know, I think several different ways. Number one, it could be that the Mormon is simply claiming that they are uh, one denomination of Protestant Christianity. So you've got this large umbrella. And you have uh, Baptists, you have uh, E.V. Free, you have Methodists, you have Presbyterians, and you have Mormons. And so they might mean it like that, but typically as you, you push this issue a little bit, I, I don't think you're going to get very many Mormons who would agree with that. Mm-hmm. And partly, part of the reason is, and you can go and take Mormon doctrine and, and actually the teachings of uh, Joseph Smith— and compare that claim that Mormonism is just one denomination of Christianity with really the claims of their own prophets. And so you get Joseph Smith, who says in the uh, one of their scriptures, the Pearl of Great Price, he says that all the you know all the creeds of Christianity are an abomination in his sight, and he says all their professors, uh, meaning their their uh, leaders, their pastors, were all corrupt. Um, so that doesn't seem to be consistent with the claim that Mormonism is simply a uh, you know a, a sect of Christianity. Mm-hmm. You know, in the, even in the Book of Mormon, in First Nephi twenty two thirteen, uh, the Book of Mormon condemns Christianity as the great and abominable church, and then refers to Christianity as the whore of the earth. So, um, given those teachings, and and you, if you're able to bring those those teachings up with Mormons, who will who will know? I mean, if they're a, kind of a your normal Mormon who's been educated in their own doctrine, they'll know of these claims. So it certainly couldn't be that Christianity is uh is simply or Mormonism is simply a denomination of Christianity. Uh now, of course, they might mean it that Christianity or Mormonism is identical to Christianity. Christianity is identical to Mormonism. Now, to clarify that claim a little bit more, you ask them, I mean, if that's the case, if they're making a claim that they're identical, that kind of Mormonism is is identical to Christianity, as a Christian, I ask, well, does that make me a Mormon then? Because if Mormons are Christians, that goes the other way. Christians are Mormons. Mm-hmm. And of course, you're not going to get Mormons who will affirm that Protestant Christians are Mormons. Well, let me just interject there. I guess one thing I'm, I'm kind of thinking as you're explaining this, that, that first aspect of how they might interpret a Christian would they, at least in their own circles, maybe say that they are Christians, but you and I are not? Well, that's exactly where I'm going with this, is that uh, when you clarify that a Christian isn't a Mormon, 
and they, they claim that Mormons are Christians, but Christians are not Mormons. That means the only option, it seems to me, that's left is that, okay, Mormons are actually the true Christians, and that entails that uh, Protestant Christians are are false Christians, if you will. Mm-hmm. And, and in fact, this is consistent with uh, Latter-day Saint teaching, because according to Joseph Smith, God restores the gospel to the earth through him, through uh, him as prophet, and uh, again, according to the LDS Church, they are the one; uh, they are the only true and living church upon the face of the whole whole earth. That's what it says in the Doctrine and Covenants one thirty, one of their their Mormon scriptures. And so, yeah. So, as you as you push on this claim, the view of Mormons isn't just that they're they're Christians; that they're kind of one of us. Is that their their view is that they are the true Christians? All other Christianities or all other denominations are false, and uh, so they are the true Christians who have restored the true gospel to the earth. So, in effect, they have the same view of us that we have of them. Exactly, and that, that's why I think this is so important to bring up because oftentimes they take such offense. At, uh, at Christians who, uh, who do evangelism with Mormons, or they'll take offense as you bring up the differences between Mormonism and Christianity. And I just want to gently point out to them that their view, uh, when they're just going to be honest about the, their view, and, they're, they're, uh, and maybe, if, maybe they don't know that this is kind of the view, then you just simply point out, using Mormon sources, that this is, this is Orthodox Mormon teaching about Protestant Christianity and about you know about me, mm-hmm. and uh, so they think I'm wrong, and so I don't understand the offense when I, when I make claims that their you know their views are you know don't match up with Scripture or are false. Look, I don't get offended when they tell me I'm wrong, and and in the same way, I want to kind of help pull their defense down a little bit so that we can get into some helpful conversation and say. We're both. You think I'm wrong, and and I think you're wrong, and uh, and that's okay. It's not offensive to think that somebody's wrong. Let now. So what, what's the primary question here? Well, whose view is the right view? You've got a view of God that is is contradictory to my view of God. You've got a gospel that's contradictory to my view of the gospel. Um, so let's let's look carefully at these. And let's see if we can't discover who's got the true view. Maybe at the end of the day we're both wrong, but the point mm-hmm. is we both can't be right. And, uh, and so that's kind of, I think, how this discussion can be kind of a helpful segue into then getting into the details. So who is the Mormon Jesus? Well, according to uh, Mormon doctrine, the Mormon Jesus is a created being. He is literally the firstborn of, of the Heavenly Father. Now, their view of the Heavenly Father is that uh, he was once a man, like you or I. He has a body of flesh and bone. He, uh, uh, he progressed to a point where he becomes a god. So he was once a man. He becomes a god. So he has his own god, the Father. And, uh, but as he becomes a god, he is, uh, he is given his own universe that he oversees, that he rules over. And, uh, and he currently... Uh, uh, rules over this world, but l- has a, a planet that he, he lives on with a mother goddess, and they, uh, if not goddesses, mm-hmm. and they are producing spirit children. Jesus was the firstborn of those spirit children. So 
he is literally the son of God. And uh, uh, so he's a created being. Uh, he's not the uh, third member, or uh, he's not the second person of the Trinity. He uh, he's a created being, and uh, so that I mean that that's some of the the key differences right there <laughs> on their view of Jesus and our view of Jesus. So Mormonism is typically Christians who understand Mormonism will point out that they are very polytheistic in their worldview. Yeah, well that that's uh, that's how it cashes out. Uh, if you if you look at Mormonism, you have of course God the Father, who is a divine being. Jesus is a separate divine being, and uh, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, is another separate divine being. So just right there, you have three. Mm-hmm. But then in uh, in the Mormon worldview, the Father has a has a heavenly Father who's a divine being. He's got a heavenly Father. Uh, and he's got a heavenly father, and he's got a heavenly father, on and on and on. So infinite and, regression there? Yeah, you've got an infinite regress of divine beings. Then, of course, at the end of um, of this world, you know, at the at the judgment, those of us who have eternally progressed and have gone through, you know, all the uh, uh, the Mormon steps to eternal life, will eventually become gods ourselves. And uh, uh, presuming, of course, this has happened in, in other worlds as well. So you've mm-hmm. got just an infinite amount of gods out there, uh, according to Mormonism. So yes, definitely polytheistic. And then the other aspect is um, the nature of salvation, or as I put it, the, the works of Christ. Mm-hmm. How do they view that differently than we do? Yeah, well, again, you, you, here's we got to be careful because they will use the same terminology. They will say that they believe that we are saved, uh, you know, uh, by grace through faith. And so what you have to do is you have to, uh, I, I think one of the most helpful approaches is just, is, is taking the Mormon through their own scriptures teaching on salvation. And what you discover is that according to their view of salvation, and, and actually, I, I wouldn't actually even use the word salvation, because salvation See, salvation means something different for the Mormon than it does for the Christian. Mm -hmm. So we want to be more specific. One way you can do that is you can ask the Mormon, well, you know, tell me what is required to get the very best that your religion has to offer. And according to uh, Mormon doctrine, the very best that Mormonism offers is what they call exaltation. Exaltation is uh, eventually becoming a god and ruling over your own world. So that's, I want to know, how do I get that? That's the best thing that Mormonism has to offer. That's, that's kind of the, uh, the ultimate climax of their gospel. So how do I get that? And then just simply you know, ask the Mormon that question and let them lay out the, uh, the process. And what you discover is that good works are a necessary part of that uh, that process. In fact, it, it's not. It's a number of good works. There are, uh, are are things that have to be done in the temple. There is being you know being baptized in the temple, being sealed to your spouse in the temple. Uh, these kinds of things um, are all necessary parts of salvation in the Mormon uh, view of things. And uh, and again, you you can simply point this out to Mormons using their own scriptures that uh, these are the requirements because you will get kind of the, you know, the, 
the the uh, the typical Mormon is going to say that they you know they believe that they're saved by grace. But what you got to do is you got to push on that. Well, what does that what does that mean? Okay, what role does grace play? And often, what you find is actually a lot of Mormons have a uh, a, a different view of salvation than actually their scriptures even teach. And hmm. so, when you actually look carefully at the Mormon scriptures on this, uh, what you discover is that grace pretty much plays no role in salvation. It really is their, uh, their works and, that are, 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 um, are required, absolutely required for salvation. In fact, there's a kind of an approach to this is called the, uh, the, uh, impossible gospel where you take them, you know, to, you can take them through just a series of questions and a series of their own scriptures that really help highlight this impossible gospel of Mormonism for the Mormon themselves. So then it sounds to me like this um, salvation by grace then is just something that they're maybe taught in their um, missionary training is something to have a response ready for challenges that they'll face. Yeah, well you have uh, you have you have scripture in the book of Mormon 2 Nephi 25:23 which actually sounds similar to Ephesians uh, chapter 2 verse 8 and 9. But uh, it says that for uh, it says for we know that it is by grace that we are saved, but then there's a little extra part here after all we can do. Mm-hmm. Okay, so 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 it says we are saved by grace after all we can do. Mm-hmm. So my response to the Mormon is, well, what what does it mean all we can do? Because what what does what what is grace after all we can do? And then the follow-up question is, well, have you done all that you can do? And it seems like you can always do better. In mm-hmm. fact, that's exactly what the Mormon prophets say. If you look at uh, Spencer Kimball, who was uh, an earlier Mormon prophet, he wrote a book called The M- Miracle of Forgiveness. And, and he, he says, you must always do better. <laughs> you know, trying is not enough. Trying is not sufficient. You must always do better. Uh, so, so grace... I think ultimately, at the end of the day, according to Mormon scripture, grace is, is, is meaningless because, again, it's after all that you can do. You look at some other passages, you know, one great passage to point the Mormons to is Moroni 10.32. And that says, it says, yea, come unto Christ and be perfected in him and deny yourselves of all ungodliness. And then it says, and if, key word, if, Ye shall deny yourselves of all ungodliness and love God with all your might, mind, and strength. Then is his grace sufficient for you, that by his grace you may be perfect in Christ. So again, there you have grace mentioned, but, but how do you get grace? Well, it says right there in, in Moroni 10.32 that you need to be perfected in Christ. You must deny yourself of all ungodliness. And notice the if-then clause, right? If you deny yourself of all ungodliness, then what? Then is his grace sufficient for you. So that you have to deny yourself of all ungodliness first before you get grace. But I don't know what to make of grace in that situation. Yeah, you if, you, you got to be if, perfect and— Exactly. Well, what, what do I need grace for? If I'm perfect, if exactly. I'm righteous, I, I don't need grace. Mm-hmm. So um, it, this also yeah. sounds almost as like a like like the opposite of of Catholicism in a way, where Catholicism will say grace gets you so far, and then you've got to make up the difference. 
Yeah. And well, as, as opposed to you got to, you got to get yourself so far and then grace makes up the difference. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so. But, but the, the, the typical Mormon is, um, is going to say, no, we need grace. Absolutely. None of us can be perfect. And, uh, and so, you know, basically you do your best and God kind of does the rest kind of idea. That's going to be kind of the, um, you know, kind of the Mormon on the street, that, that's their view. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm trying to do with them is I'm trying to show them that their view, that view that it's grace plus works, is actually inconsistent with their own scriptures. And I'm gonna, I'm, what I'm trying to do is kind of push a little bit more on this requirement that they actually feel. I think this is, this is an effective route to take in conversation with Mormons because this is actually where they live every single day. Mm-hmm. They, they feel the pressure of perfection. And in candid moments, I've had Mormons admit that to me. They say, yeah, you know, gosh, uh, it seems like perfection is demanded and uh, it's really tough. And I'll have Mormons actually admit that. And so what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to, to push their own gospel according to their scriptures and their prophets to really help show them that, that Mormonism awful offers, uh, Mormonism offers a gospel that is bad news. It is not good news. And I want them to feel that bad news. So then at the end of that conversation, I can come in with the good news and say, now here is the gospel according to the Bible. Here is the good news of the Bible. And then take them to the uh, great passages of grace in the uh, scriptures. Mm-hmm. And as long as you're mentioning scriptures, and I think you mentioned it once before, uh, Mormons actually have more works of quote unquote scripture than we as evangelical Christians have. Yeah, they, uh, they, they do believe that the Bible is Scripture. Of course, for them, it is, it's, it's the King James Version of the Bible, and they kind of have a modified, modified view of the Scripture. Their article of faith, number eight, says that they believe the Bible to be the Word of God as far as it has been translated correctly. So, uh, of course, of all of their scriptures, kind of in the hierarchy of their scriptures, the Bible's kind of on the, the uh, lowest rung there. Mm-hmm. And then they also have the Book of Mormon. They have uh, the Doctrine and Covenants. And then fourthly, they have the Pearl of Great Price. And all four of those books together form what they call the standard works. Those are their four scriptures. Okay. And just really briefly, I don't want to get into detail, but what are those other three, like the Doctrine and Covenants, Book of Mormon, Pearl of Great Price? Like, what's the what's different about them? That well, the book the Book of Mormon is uh, allegedly a book that was translated by Joseph Smith from golden plates uh, that were revealed to him by the angel Moroni. And the angel Moroni, he's the uh, he's that golden angel who's uh, on every Mormon temple. But uh, he showed Joseph Smith where those golden plates were. They were a record of uh, God's dealings with the people of America and, and Jesus uh, of of the Americas and of Jesus's um, uh, coming over here. Uh, that's the Book of Mormon. It's uh, uh, then you've got the Doctrine and Covenants, which is are just a uh, teachings of uh, Joseph Smith and, and and the prophets, and uh, the Pearl of Great Price is is also additional teaching of of Joseph Smith and the prophets. Okay. Uh, yeah, so those are their four sources. Okay. So we, we talked, you talked about the Father, and you talked about Jesus, and then you, you mentioned the Holy Spirit as this third of this third member of the Godhead that they're all like separate beings, or there's three gods rather than one, or than one God in three, the tr- Trinity. 
Uh-huh. Just briefly, what do they believe about the Holy Spirit? Well, that that's a really good question, and that's actually a question you ought to ask your Mormon friends, is what do you believe about the Holy Ghost? Because they don't seem to have, typically, a very um, uh, well-developed uh, doctrine of the Holy Ghost. Uh, he's a, he's a, he has a spirit body, which I'm not even sure what that means, uh, to have a spirit body, but he has a spirit body, and um, uh, how he got to be who he is, uh, that's again a question to ask your Mormon friends. How does the Holy Ghost get to be the Holy Ghost? I mean, who is he? They, they just don't seem to have a whole lot of answers on that one. He was a, he, again, he is a, a child of God, a, literally a child of God, just like Jesus, just like you and I. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, I mean, there's just not a whole lot of specifics they can give you about the Holy Spirit as a uh, man who beca- became uh, the spiritual, the sp- or who took on the spiritual body and is uh, the third member of the Godhead. Okay. That's just not real clear uh, in Mormonism. Okay, so he he can be a mystery to us, but he sounds like he's an even bigger mystery to them. Huh? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah, and there's not a, I mean, there's not a whole lot of, uh, I, I end up not talking to Mormons a whole lot about the Holy Spirit, just because they don't have a very well-developed view of him. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, a lot of the discussion ends up centering around, around Jesus, because they talk a lot about Jesus. Sure, sure. Yeah. And I don't want to get too deep into details, but what are some of those more minor views that, and differences that Mormons hold, such as like abstaining from alcohol and caffeine and and, and things like that. Yeah, well, they have um, they have uh, some moral teaching that's uh, that are re- referred to as the the words of wisdom, and uh, that's where it, kind of the the prohibition on coffee it, it comes from. It's actually uh, specifically talks about hot drinks. It uh, the word of wisdom doesn't actually mention caffeine. But I think just kind of through time, it's kind of become part of uh, you know Mormon I don't know folklore that you abstain from you know caffeinated drinks you know Coke these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know when we're on the campus of BYU talking to students, uh, we go into the uh, lunch area there and uh, get lunch and then sit with students. But you know all the drinks are non-caffeinated drinks, uh, so they have some things like that. A lot of caffeine-free Coke and caffeine-free Mountain Dew kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. As long <laughs> as it's caffeine-free, it's it, it's okay. Um, so they've got some of those things. Um, and you know, those are yeah, those are definitely interesting topics. They they're you know they've got there's uh, secret temple rituals that they've got. There uh, there are particular undergarments that they wear. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's the whole issue of uh, polygamy. Uh, there's um, Joseph Smith's occult associations. You've got a number of these kind of, you know, odd issues and uh, peculiar issues, interesting issues. Mm-hmm. But my encouragement to Christians is uh, is really to leave those. You know, you might come to some of those later on down the road, but really to focus on on the main issues sure. um, because you, you know you can you can often. Uh, you, you find that Mormons can sometimes be very sensitive, especially you start talking about those kinds of, you know, things, and they, they it can really shut down conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you want to focus on the main things. And again, eventually you might get to the issue of polygamy down the road, but uh, but for the most part, if you stick to who is Jesus, uh, you know, who is God, who is the Holy Spirit, 
what is required for salvation, that will give you plenty, plenty to talk about. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't want to get too uh, too far down a, like a rabbit trail here, but I wanted to bring up just briefly also some of the kind of offshoots of Mormonism. We've got like the fundamentalist Mormon church, I think it's mm-hmm. called. And yeah. then there's another one that's headed in um, Missouri. I can't remember what it's called. Uh, yeah, you have... Like Ref- uh, Reformed yeah. Church of Latter-day Saints, I think it's called. I can't remember. It's, it's the Reorganized Church reorganized, of Latter-day Saints. Reorganized, there you go. And I, that was, I believe that was founded by Joseph Smith's... I think it was his grandson, okay. uh, also named Joseph Smith. He founded the... Uh, kind of broke off and, and founded the Reorganized Church of uh, Latter-day Saints. You have the FLDS, the Fundamentalist uh, Latter-day Saints... Uh, and and for the FLDS, one you know, of course, one of the big things for the FLDS is they are they are practicing polygamists. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, just a month ago, I was actually in Colorado City, which is on the border of Arizona and Utah, and it's a polygamous community. They're FLDS. They uh, uh, they they practice community, or I'm sorry, they practice polygamy in that community, and um, that's pretty central to uh, you know to their their practices and their beliefs. So yeah, you definitely have uh, different offshoots. In fact, that's one thing that can be helpful to point out to Mormons because they will bring the objection against Christianity that you have such a disunity in the church, that you have all these different denominations, thousands of different denominations, and they're all disunified and this kind of thing. And I think you can point out, number one, that you have this, you actually have this in Mormonism. You've got, you know, more than 130 different splinter groups. You've got, you know, you got the reorganized church. You've got the fundamentalists. You've got the the main church there in Salt Lake City. You've got 130 or more different splinter groups of Mormonism. So that charge can be leveled against them. But what you find actually in Christianity and amongst the denominations is actually great unity on the essentials. The the differences with denominations has to do with uh, non-essentials and practices. And so actually when you look a little more carefully into Christianity, you find great unity. And uh, and that's one way to kind of counter, I think, one of these charges that that Mormons will bring up against the Christian church. Mm -hmm. I bring it up because um, I've actually been watching this show on uh, TLC, I think it is. Called uh, Sister Wives. Have you seen this? Yeah, I've seen I've seen one episode of that. And they're great. a fundamentalist Mormon family. Yeah. And uh, there's I think he's got four wives. Yeah, I think I think it was four. And then um, back in college, uh, friends a friend of a friend was a reorganized Mormon. Mm-hmm. I was told by the mutual friend that they were more more orthodox than than the the main church in Salt Lake City, but I, I kind of took that with a grain of salt. I, yeah, you know, I'm not uh, I'm not actually real sure about the particular beliefs of the reorganized church. I know sure. that they are much, much smaller, that Mormonism is dominated by, you know, the views coming out of Salt Lake City. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so that's, that's what I focused on. Okay. Well, let's get into some of that important stuff then, and how exactly you go about sharing the gospel and sharing your faith with Mormons, and, and what can listeners do to uh, better equip themselves to talk to Mormons? Yeah, well, I think um, one of the you know one of the key verses that I lead with when I talk to Mormons is John seventeen three. John seventeen three says, uh, "This is eternal life." that they may uh, know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. And really, as once we get to the point where the Mormon says, okay, yeah, 
there are key differences between Mormonism and Christianity. I think I'm right. You think you're right. We both can't be right. Then that's when I bring in John 17, 3 to really help demonstrate what's at stake here. Okay, if you've got one God and I have a different God, well, according to Jesus in John 17, 3, we, we both can't have eternal life because eternal life is knowing the one true God. And so then that can launch us into a discussion of the differences. So then I, you know, I asked the Mormon to uh, you know, lay out his view of God. And uh, again, what you discover are um, you, you discover a being who was, who was once a man. And so you have their very own prophets who, who say this. This is not my interpretation, but this is the interpretation. Uh, this is the teaching of their own scriptures. So one of their prophets, Lorenzo Snow, is, uh, is kind of famous for saying, as man is, God once was. As God is, man may be. Uh, that, again, is the view that, that, that God was once a man. You and I can become like God now as, as he's the divine being. That sounds like the uh, very first lie in the book of Genesis. There you go. Yeah, that, uh, it does sound very familiar. You have, of course, uh, Satan, who uh, in Isaiah chapter 14, right, um, uh, you know, Satan wants to, you know, he wants to be like the Most High. Mm-hmm. And, of course, then that's, uh, yeah, the, uh, the temptation of, uh, of Satan in the Garden of Eden with uh, Adam and Eve. You know, you can be like God. And so, yeah, the, you, you see uh, uh, the parallel there. Uh, so you get, to the, you, know, you get to these differences, of course. Uh, Joseph Smith said that uh, there are three you know, different gods. This is no secret. And then I think to make your case biblically, as you kind of first lay out the differences, then I think what you want to do, the first thing you want to do with Mormons is you want to show them that Scripture teaches that there is only one God. That's really the first kind of first step. Mm-hmm. And so you can point them, you know, to a number of scriptures in the Old and the New Testament. But you have a, you know, a, a passage like Isaiah 43.10. Isaiah 43.10 says, you know, before me there was no God formed, and there will be none after me. Uh, Isaiah 44, 6 and 8 say the same kind of thing. There are no other gods beside me. Uh, I mentioned John uh, 17.3. You know, there's only one true God. And on and on and on, what you discover throughout the Old and New Testament is that the Bible teaches there is only one God. And, uh, and so this contradicts the Mormon view that there are three divine beings in the Godhead and, of course, you know, an infinite number of gods out there in the, in the universes. Um, do, now, you, Mormon, do you run um, into the, the problem then with going back to them viewing the Bible as being the word of God only where it's interpreted correctly when you point these yeah. verses out. Yeah. When you, typically when you start going down this road, you'll have Mormons who, uh, particularly if they, if they have a hard time answering some of the challenges, mm-hmm. well, what one of kind of the, de- their defenses will be referring to this uh, article of faith number eight. And they'll say, yeah, well, you know, we believe the Bible as far as it's been translated correctly. Or they, they, might, they might make an appeal to their own scriptures. Uh, in 1 Nephi 13.28, the Mormon scriptures say that many plain and precious things have been taken away from the book, uh, which is the book of the Lamb of God. So, so many plain and precious things have been taken out of the Bible mm-hmm. as it's kind of passed through the, uh, the church. 
And so, so I think there's a number of ways to respond to this. Number one, when anyone, of course, they are making the claim here. Uh, they're making a claim that the Bible has been mistranslated. Now, of course, what, what they're actually mistaking is uh, translation and transmission. Translation is simply the process of going from one language into another. So I translate from Greek uh, or Hebrew into English. That's how we translate the Bible. What they're actually talking about is transmission, how the Bible's been passed along from when Paul wrote it to now what I have currently. So they're actually, their article of faith number eight uh, makes a mistake in, in, the, in, in their view, or there's a mistake in uh, not distinguishing between translation and transmission. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, what I do is when they make the claim that the Bible has been, um, you know, uh, has been changed, we've lost things from the Bible as it's been passed along through the centuries, you can simply ask them a question. They've made a claim. They, they, they should shoulder the burden of proof. So you ask them, well, can you show me which particular passages of the Bible have been translated incorrectly? Uh, can you show me which ones you're talking about? And I, I haven't had a, a single Mormon yet point out to me any particular passage that they're talking about. This is just one of their, you know, one of the things that they've been uh, been told, but they don't, they're not told why they should believe that. Uh, and a second question you could ask is you could ask the Mormon, do you read the Bible regularly? And Mormons will say, oh, yes, I love the Bible. I try to read it every day. So then I ask a follow-up question. Well, which mis- mistranslated portions do you avoid when you're reading the <laughs> Bible? And uh, you, Mormons, will get, they'll be dumbfounded when I ask that question because they, they have never put that together. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, if the Bible's been mistranslated or if there's error in the Bible, I should avoid those particular parts. But they've never been told that there are any specific particular parts that are mistranslated. And, and so they, they, you know, they, read, they read all of it. They don't have a problem with all of it. So this ends up simply being a uh, kind of a, an escape route for them when they get kind of caught in a corner and shown that Mormon doctrine contradicts uh, scriptural teaching. Uh, you know, lastly, you could point out to them what scripture says about itself. You know, Jesus says in Matthew 5.18, he says, you know, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. And so you have God you know, talking about how he's going to preserve his word. And uh, so that's, I think, how you can kind of, you know, uh, overcome the, uh, uh, the Mormon escape route of saying the Bible has been mistranslated. Hey, look, if you can't show me any particular points where it's been mistranslated, well, why should I accept the claim that it's been mistranslated, that there are error in it? Mm-hmm. So, and then hopefully you can get back to the scripture, you know, the scripture as the standard. And, uh, uh, and then I think the next step is after you've shown them there's only one, there's only one God, then you, you, you demonstrate that the scripture teaches that uh, there are three divine persons. You know, there are, you've got three distinct divine persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So they'll actually use passages like Matthew chapter 3, Jesus' baptism. Uh, they'll use uh, Matthew 26 when, when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's praying to the Father. And they'll use those to show that they're three, you know, they're, they're separate beings. Now, uh, what those demonstrate is not that they're three separate beings. It shows the distinction. And we certainly believe there's a distinction between Father, Son, and Holy, Holy Spirit. But then Scripture, in a number of different ways, then teaches that each of the distinct persons is a divine person. 
So you have passages that talk, you know, that uh, the Father is a divine being, the Son is a divine being, and the Holy Spirit is a divine being. Well, if you only have one God, and yet you've got three divine persons, that at first glance seems to be a problem. And of course, the Trinity is a solution to that problem. Uh, the Trinity, three distinct persons who together are the one God. Mm-hmm. And that is, you want to show, is the, uh, the teaching of, of, uh, of the Bible. Uh, you've got a nice little diagram that I've got in, in the notes that you gave me. Do you mind if I use that, if I post that on the, in the show notes? You've no, got... absolutely. absolutely. Is that the, uh, the Trinity diagram? Yeah, you've got a triangle with uh, a circle. Yeah, that's uh, each. Uh, I'm say each corner of the triangle is a member of the Trinity: Father, Son, Holy Spirit. In the center is God, and then uh, from each corner into the center, it'll say "is." So, Son is God, Spirit is God, Father is God, and then uh, the circle going around the outside says "is not." The Father is not the Spirit. Spirit is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. Yeah, yeah. I I actually think that that is a. Uh... I think that's an, I'm not sure the exact origin of that diagram, but I think it's an ancient diagram of the Trinity, one of the, one of the first. You know, when, when we talk about the Trinity, you know, people often want analogies, mm-hmm. and unfortunately all the analogies fall short because, you know, God as a Trinitarian being is like no other thing in the universe. But so, so I think this is kind of the best visual to give somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've got a triangle with three distinct angles. And together they're you know they're one triangle, but you would want to keep the distinction between the angles. And so you know you've got one angle father, one angle son, and one angle spirit. And the fa- the claim for Christians is not that the father is the son, but mm-hmm. uh, that they are distinct persons. Together those three persons are the one God. So yeah, it'd be great to uh, post that. Uh, I think that's the best visual that we can offer. Yeah, I'll put that in the show notes. And, and then uh, again, I, I just just briefly, I just want to mention. You mentioned these analogies that break down, and maybe we'll just walk through. You got like two or three of them here in your notes, um, and egg and steam, and and how those actually break down into heretical views once you you really press them. Yeah, well, what's very important in this discussion of the Trinity is that we provide an accurate uh, view of the Trinity, and 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 so we start with an accurate definition of the Trinity, mm-hmm. and so I, I take. James White's definition of the Trinity in his book, The Forgotten Trinity. I've modified it just with a couple words, but I think is in terms of a kind of a one sentence, concise and yet accurate definition of the Trinity, this is about the best uh, I can do. But uh, here's how I would define the Trinity. Within the one being that is God, there simultaneously exist three co-equal, co-eternal, and distinct persons, namely the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so each of the words in that definition is, is placed there very purposefully. And as you look at the analogies that we use for the Trinity, so let's just take the idea of, you know... Uh, the egg? Uh, it, it, yeah, let's take the egg. What the egg does, well, the, the egg ends up being an example of a heresy called tritheism. And uh, that's where you emphasize really too much the distinction in the persons, so much so that you pull the persons apart into three separate gods. Mm -hmm. And so the egg, just like with the egg analogy, with the egg, you actually have three separate uh, parts of the egg, the shell, the egg yolk, and the egg white. Those things can be separated and, uh, and, and, 
God cannot. The persons of the the Godhead cannot be separated. So the egg analogy breaks into uh, breaks down into a heresy called tritheism. Mm-hmm. Now, if you if you don't maintain the distinction enough, you get the heresy of modalism, and modalism is the idea that God kind of. Uh, shows up in different modes of existence. So at one time he's the father, another time he may show up in uh, the mode of the son, and another time he shows up as, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit. But he's not father, son, and Holy Spirit, or it's not that the father, son, and Holy Spirit exist simultaneously. And going back to that definition I offered, I, I put the word simultaneously exists in there purposely, to uh, to really help distinguish from this the, the heresy of modalism and the heresy of modalism is represented by the analogy of H uh, two O being in the form of uh, liquid steam uh, let's see liquid steam and uh, solid those things are not you can't have the same H two O molecules as liquid and steam and solid at the same time they're mm-hmm. not they won't simultaneously be in each one of those modes and the same idea with uh, you know, people say, well, uh, Brett is a, he's a father to his children, he's a husband to his wife, and he's a son to his father, right? Three different persons, mm-hmm. but I'm one per, uh, but I'm one, you know, human being. Well, that again breaks down because uh, simultaneously I'm not that to each one. I'm not a father, son, and spouse to, to everyone. To everyone at the same time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so the, those uh, those are kind of the you're kind of walking the Trinity kind of walks a tightrope between the heresy of tritheism and the heresy of modalism. Mm-hmm. So when you're talking to Mormons, they'll often bring up uh, their testimony, and their Mormons it's very important to them their testimony how they became a Mormon process. How do you deal with the the testimony? Yeah, that is a very I- important uh, question because almost every conversation. W- with Mormons will somehow go will go in this direction. Uh, in fact, they'll they'll cite one of their own scriptures, which is Moroni chapter ten, verses four and five, which says it says, "And when you shall receive these things, I would exhort you that you would ask God, the Eternal Father, in the name of Christ, if these things are not true. And if you shall ask with a sincere heart, with real intent, having faith in Christ, He will manifest the truth of it unto you by the power of the Holy Ghost." So their claim is that you've got to pray about this. You've got to ask God to find out whether or not it's true. I remember being on the street of Salt Lake City talking to two Mormon gals, and I was gently raising questions for them, ha- asking them to kind of compare Mormon doctrine to uh, to what the Bible teaches. They were having difficulty in answering those questions. And uh, midway through the conversation, one of the girls stopped me, and she said, Brett, can I share something with you? I knew what was coming next. And mm-hmm. I said, Sure. Uh, and she she gave me her testimony, and she as she actually started to cry right there on the streets as we were talking, and she was moved, and she said, "I've read the Book of Mormon from cover to cover. I've prayed and asked God whether or not the Book of Mormon is true, and whether or not Joseph Smith is a true and living prophet, and God told me it was true." Right. This is this is her testimony. Mm-hmm. This is uh, you know uh, this is how she knows that it's true. Now. In that situation, you know what 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 do I offer? Do I just offer my testimony and say, "Well, hey, my testimony is better than your testimony"? Mm-hmm. I no, of course not. So I actually I actually thanked her for sharing that, for being vulnerable. Uh, she obviously was moved by this. She was you know she was crying to a, a perfect stranger, 
And so I said, well, thanks for sharing that with me. And I said, well, do you mind if I ask you a question? And she said, go ahead. And so what I did is I said, well, what if we were standing here and it wasn't just you and I, but let's say we had a Muslim. He was standing here and he hears you share your testimony and then he shares his testimony. I said, what if he said that he read the Quran from cover to cover, he prayed about it, he asked God to see, to tell him whether or not the Quran was true, and if Muhammad was a, a true and living prophet, and Allah told him that it was true, that the Quran was true. I said, what, what would you say to the, the Muslim who said that? Or what if you had somebody who said, I prayed about the Book of Mormon and God told me it was false? And what I'm trying, what I was trying to do with her is I was trying to show her the liability of relying merely on a testimony as your test of truth. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, one thing, one question I'll sometimes ask Mormons is I'll ask them if they pray to find out whether or not murder is, uh, is wrong. Of course, they'll look at me and say, well, are you kidding? <laughs> of course, of, of course I don't pray about that. And then I say, well, how do you know that it's wrong then? Well, it says so in the scripture. God's told us. I say, exactly. He's already told us in the scripture. So you go to the scripture as your standard. And what I'm trying to do is force them back to the scripture as the standard for truth, as the the proper test for truth, and not their personal experience. Sometimes I'll ask them, well, hey, uh, you know, can your feelings ever be wrong? Right? Because they're, they're telling me to rely upon a feeling to test whether or not this book is true, whether or not Joseph Smith is a, is a prophet. Well, have, have your feelings ever been wrong? And you can ask them specifically. I mean, have you known anyone who's ever been, have you, have you known any Mormons who have been married in the temple and then later on got divorced? Well, of course. Uh, well, then were their feelings wrong in that situation? And so you bring up examples like that where feelings have misled somebody. And I'm just trying to show them the liability of this approach to the test of truth. And then I might show them, um, you know, particular uh, scriptures. You know, I would want to point them to Acts chapter 17, where Paul and Silas go to the Bereans, and uh, they, they, they preach to the Bereans. And it says the Bereans receive the, the message with, with gladness, but then it says that they examine the scriptures to see whether or not these things were true. And they are held up, the Bereans are held up as more noble-minded than the Thessalonians, who Paul and Silas were, were, uh, were ministering to before that. And they're noble-minded because they examine the scriptures to see whether or not these things are true. And so I want the Mormons to go back to the scripture, examine the scripture to see whether or not the Book of Mormon and Mormon teaching actually matches up with, with scripture. Mm-hmm. And so, again, I'm using these kind of responses to, to move them back to the Scripture as the test for their truth. I mean, you can also show them 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11, where it talks about God giving bad feelings, that God actually is responsible for de- you know, a, a delusion, a strong delusion uh, that these folks had. So I want them to see that, that feelings, yeah, feelings are not a reliable test for truth, and that actually in no other area of their life do they pray about whether or not something's true. They don't do this for historical truth. They don't pray whether or not, you know, George Washington uh, was the first president of the United States, right? They don't do this in any other area of their life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I'm trying well, to This help is a them. really important uh, point to bring up, not just with, with Mormons, but we've got a lot of evangelical Christians who 
think that they're they're better off exegeting their experience than trying to exegete scripture. Yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately, many Christians are guilty of that <laughs> that same approach. So, uh, yeah, that that's an exhortation for uh, for believers as well. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't want to take too much of your time. I think we're we're about 50, 55 minutes in, and I usually shoot for about an hour. Um, but I, I I've kind of picked up just because I've uh, followed Standard Reason for s- several years now, and kind of I know Greg Kokel through his radio show and, and some of his ministry stuff, I've kind of picked up a little bit of your tactical approach here. And yeah. um, uh, we talked to Greg two years ago and he, he put out the book tactics and um, like to kind of close by talking a little bit about this tactical approach and how you use it when you're engaging uh, Mormons. Yeah. Well, with the, the tactics, you know, questions are key. And uh, of course the, Greg calls the uh, Columbo tactic the the queen mother of all tactics, and it it is central to uh, our our approach with Mormons. And the the there's three questions in the Columbo tactic. The first two questions are really key when you're talking to Mormons. The first question is, "What do you mean by that?" And the second question is, "How did you come to that conclusion?" And these two questions are gonna you, you're gonna need to ask these questions constantly as you engage Mormons. You're, the first question is a clarification question. When I say, "What do you mean by that?" I'm trying to get some more information. So when a Mormon talks about Jesus, I'm gonna ask him, "Well, what do you mean by Jesus? De- define Jesus. Who is he?" And and uh, and I'm going to need to get more information before I can effectively engage a Mormon. And so I'm going to constantly need to come back to that clarification question. When you talk about salvation, what do you mean by that? When you talk about eternal life, what do you mean by that? When you talk about grace, what do you mean by that? Uh, and then secondly, after I get clear on the Mormon views, uh, then I'm going to ask them why they believe those things. Okay, so where where do you... Uh, where do you get your evidence that Jesus is literally the firstborn son of God the Father? Where, where does it teach that God is simply a man? And then you'll get their justification. You'll get the reasons why. So they might take you to, you know, uh, they might take you to scriptures like, you know, Genesis one twenty six. You know, we're made in the image of God. Well, I look at you, you have a physical body. That must mean that God has a physical body. And they'll use those kind of passages to defend their view, and then you get, then you get, you've got the specifics, and then you're really uh, able to engage them uh, intelligently, and uh, and then deal with their views, and through time, hopefully, uh, dismantle the views, of course, in a loving and gracious way, but dismantle the views so they can see that their views ultimately are false and don't match up with Scripture. So the tactical approach is key in doing this, and especially with Mormons who use the same terminology. They'll talk about God and Jesus and salvation and all of these things. You've got to you've got to clarify. You've got to get down to what do they mean by these things. You're also fleshing out whether their uh, kind of their devoutness as well. Are, are, are you not when you're asking these questions? Are they grounded in in a firm belief in Mormonism, or were they raised just kind of having this around and they just believe it for the same reason a lot of Christians or, or yeah. people who grew up in Christian homes believe um, what you and I believe. Yeah, I mean, it's the same, th- it's the same thing we would want be- uh, Christian believers to be able to answer. What do you believe and why do you believe it? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so you, of course, you want to take each Mormon as an individual, and the tactics help you do that. You can't 
you can't assume that every Mormon is going to you know believe the same thing. Although there is a lot of, uh, you'll find tremendous similarity between Mormons, but you want to know what that particular Mormon that you're talking to believes and why they believe that. And so you'll get Mormons who are uh, very well educated, who will who will know the scriptures, uh, or at least will be able to navigate through the Bible better than a lot of Christians. And then you'll get Mormons who this is just what they were raised in, and it's more kind of a cultural thing, and, and they mm-hmm. don't really know what they believe or why they believe it. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you get a lot of diverse, uh, diverse views, and then you know, at, using the tactical approach, you then just have to be you have to be patient, and it takes time. You're not going to win a Mormon in one conversation. Uh, it might take ten conversations. It might take a hundred conversations. You have to realize a Mormon, a typical Mormon has been, they've just been enculturated into Mormonism. It's, it's their entire life. Their, their family are often Mormons. They, uh, their friends are Mormons. They're, they're just uh, enculturated into Mormonism. Every aspect of their life is often touched by Mormonism. And so to ask them to leave it is no small deal. I mean, they really mm-hmm. have to count the cost. In fact, we met a guy up in Utah who we were able to talk to um, a couple years consecutively. And he, he basically t- he told us that he came to the conclusion that Mormonism was absolutely false, that it was false, and that Joseph Smith was a liar and a false prophet and, and the whole deal. But he told us he wouldn't leave Mormonism. He wouldn't leave the church because he knows that if he, if he does, he'll lose his wife, he'll lose his kids, he'll lose his friends. And wow. he, he, he counted the cost, and he couldn't, he couldn't pay the price. Wow. And uh, so it's, uh, it's no small thing. And we need Christians who are going to take a ca- tactical approach, but who at the same time are going to be patient. And whether it takes one month or whether it takes one year or whether it takes 10 years, we need Christians who will uh, slowly and patiently and compassionately walk with Mormons down that road. Well, I'd like to kind of close out by asking, is there anything else that um, maybe we didn't cover that you think is important that you'd like to, to bring up before we close? No, I think, I think that was, um, I think it was pretty comprehensive. We talked about the nature of God. We talked about the gospel we talked about the scripture. Let's see. We talked about the testimony, and we talked about tactics. Now, that's I think that's a that's a, those are the key things. Okay. And uh, resources. Do you have? Uh, how can people find you? Uh, Standard reason uh, materials that you think would be very beneficial to help people understand Mormonism and understand the tactical approach to dealing with Mormonism. Well, there are a number of good resources that we offer. We have two great websites, str.org, Stand to Reason, str.org is um, kind of our mothership. And then we have a youth website where we really try to take a lot of our material and put it in video form, maybe speak to a little younger audience. Uh, that's strplace.org. And you will find uh, some stuff on Mormonism on both those sites. I definitely find stuff on defense of the Bible and, and the Trinity and these kinds of things. Some specific Mormon resources that I point people to are a couple of websites. Number one, uh, Mormonism Research Ministry has a great website. It's mm-hmm. mrm.org. 
mrm.org. They've got a ton of articles. They've got a ton of vid- videos. They're a, a great ministry. And Bill McKeever is, a, is a, a friend, and he's been doing ministry with Mormons for, gosh, probably close to 40 years. So it's just a wealth of knowledge there at that website. And then you can go also to mormoninfo.org, and uh, they've got a, a great website with lots of resources in terms of books, there's two books that will, I think, really be helpful. One is Mormonism 101 by Bill McKeever and Eric Johnson. Gives you a great overview of Mormonism. And then uh, a real practical book is a book called The Mormon Scrapbook, and that is written by Daniel Thompson. And uh, you can find both those books on uh, Amazon. But those two books will give you a, a great resources in terms of engaging Mormonism. And actually, in the next few weeks, I will be uh, finished writing a small booklet, uh, an ambassador's guide to Mormonism that we will uh, release uh, late this summer or early in the fall. And that will be a great resource, I think, for understanding, getting a quick overview of Mormonism. Okay. And I'll put links to all that stuff in the show notes uh, for those who might be listening to the show uh, through iTunes or some means other than the website, that's echozoe.com slash 38, the number 38, because this is episode number 38. And uh, we'll have the links there, uh, extensive show notes, uh, scripture references, uh, everything you need to know from, from what we talked about today will be there. Excellent. And Brett, I thank you so much for taking time in your evening and uh, speaking to me and my, my listeners here. Glad to do it, and glad to uh, glad to talk about how we can share uh, the truth of Mormons in love. And you know, I just um, also wanted to throw in um, your your Twitter. That's actually how we first connected to do this interview. Was uh, I saw you on Twitter, and you were talking about a missions trip that you're doing soon to Utah. Yeah, yeah. You can find us on Twitter if you go to um, strplace.org. Mm-hmm. Um, on that homepage, there we've got uh, our a link to. Um, uh, to Twitter. We also have a link to our YouTube channel and uh, a link to our uh, Facebook page, which we're constantly updating. So there's uh, a lot of different ways you can connect with us. Sure. I was going to mention that we, you and I had a short Twitter conversation a month or two ago too, that uh, we're, I think we're both expecting children soon. That's right. My wife is uh, due with number five on July 25th. Wow. And just a few weeks later, we're due with number three. Awesome. Five. Awesome. Yeah, children are uh, children are a blessing from God, and uh, we are just we're very excited to uh, welcome number five. I, 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 yeah, I can't imagine. We've got two, and and it's a handful. <laughs> well, you know, after after three, it's you know, you had a couple more. It's no big deal. Well, I hear that <laughs> once you hit like number four, they they kind of start raising each other. I guess is the joke, but. Well, that, yeah, there's, I mean, there's some truth to that. It, it's, yeah. it's, uh, the, the kids do help take care of the younger ones. And, and we, we emphasize that in our family too. We mm-hmm. talk a lot about, you know, the obligations that we have to each other. And, and, uh, and so our older ones definitely help with the younger ones. And, um, and, uh, yeah. And so they're all really excited about welcoming the baby and, and we are two younger uh, kids or daughters, uh, Paige is eight and Ella is three and a half, almost four. And uh, they're both just excited to, you know, they're talking about how they're going to take care of the baby and, you know, they're going to change diapers and feed, <laughs> they're going to feed it and the whole deal. So they're excited about taking care of the baby as well. So now my two are, um, 
one turned four in April and the other turned one in February. <laughs> and so the older one, certainly not going to help change diapers. His way of helping is he'll run up and he'll say, Levi smells stinky, <laughs> which means daddy drop what you're doing right now and change his diaper. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. At that age, they, they can help in limited ways. <laughs> but, uh, but thanks again so much for taking time away from those, uh, Four, four kids and I'm going to talk to me and uh, absolutely my pleasure that wraps up another episode thanks for listening as I mentioned with Brett check out the show notes for a detailed outline of the discussion as well as scripture references both biblical and Mormon and resources I've added all the resources that Brett mentioned as well as a few others please note that if you're interested in any of the books that I listed there are affiliate links to amazon.com where you can not only get the books but also help this podcast financially Proceeds from affiliate credit go to pay for equipment, upgrades, and hosting fees. Also in the show notes are links to find me on Facebook and Twitter and how to sign up for email alerts when new episodes are released. Thanks again for listening, and Lord willing, I'll be back in July with episode 39.